You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate and Micah. Andy couldn't make it tonight. He's off learning about farming equipment. Combines. I don't know what... You, yeah, combines. I mean, they pick the corn, they pick the beans. I don't know what else you need to learn. You got to hit this but, button. Okay. You got to hit this button now to let it drive itself instead of this button. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean... He is going to kick, pretty my, much he's gonna kick my ass when he hears that. <laughs> They, I mean, to be honest, they could probably do it from their couch with the technology today. <laughs> they're going to start. It's really not a job, dude. They're going to have drone. It's, they're going to have drone combines. It's going to happen. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't know if it would be called a drone. A It'd robot, be called something else. A robot. But like, yeah, yeah, where you won't even have to sit in the thing, and it'll all do it automatically. I I foresee that in the next five years. Hey. I have no need for farmers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, kidding. I'm he, kidding. Can you can you envision oh. the steam coming out of his ears right now as he's listening to this? <laughs> which which let's be honest, he's probably not. I listening feed America, to dang it! I feed him. <laughs> right, he ain't gonna listen. He's like, I feed America. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love all you farmers. It's just a joke. Please continue to listen to us while you're picking my food. <laughs> so, oh. Uh, uh, I might need to hit pause. That was hilarious. <laughs> Please continue to listen to us while you're picking my food. <laughs> no, I have a lot of respect for the farmers out there. I just like to give Andy a hard time. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly. But anyways, back to the show. Uh, today uh, we have Dr. Grant Woods uh, of Growing Deer TV, and you know he's done a lot of other things. Uh, I've been a huge fan of him for a long time now. Uh, I said it in the show, but many years ago, I was able to uh, see him in person in a seminar he did uh, here in Oak Grove, actually. And uh, so ever since then, you know, I've kind of watched what he does, and he puts a lot of just awesome information out there. Uh, so make sure you guys are following him on his Instagram and Facebook. He's always putting up reels, great informational reels. and YouTube. That sort of thing. Lots of good stuff. Yeah, YouTube. Growing, Check out his YouTube. Uh, growing Gear TV. Isn't that his thing? Yep, yep. He was the one that, uh, you know, he shows the videos of, like, how much a deer will drop if the head's down or if it's up and, you know, all kinds of just great stuff he's putting out there. Uh, but before we get into the show, let's uh, talk about some sponsors real quick. Let's uh, do it. Athlon, op- Athlon Optics. Ridiculously good optics. Yeah. I'm excited. Nathan, he cited his in today. Yeah, uh, by the so, way, we're recording this a uh, couple weeks before it's going to come out. So we are recording the show the Thursday before youth season opens up here yeah, in Missouri. Just give you guys a little reference. So like Micah said, so, I took my uh, my sixth creed out today and, and 
sighted it in. It's not how I wanted to do it, but it's been raining its ass off here all week and been windy. So I ended up going to a uh, indoor range that has a 50 yard rifle range and, uh, sighted it in so that it, I mean, in theory, it should be good at 200, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of theory out there that at 50 and 200 are the, basically the same plane for a lot of rifle rounds. And, um, yeah. So usually, usually a lot of people will do 50 and then they just fine tune at 200. Right. So you, you should be close. Yeah. And, and everything um, the boys yeah. are going to be shooting this weekend is going to be within 150. So, um, right. I uh, actually went out in the rain this morning and set up blind and, uh, then went and sighted the rifle in after, uh, lunch before I did something for work. So kind of worked out pretty good. Didn't exactly go the way I wanted it to. I wanted to go to a, a buddy's house that has a really cool new rifle setup, but it just rained all morning and then it was windy. So, but that Midas did real right. nice, real nice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We love our Athlon stuff. Uh, Weber Outfitters. If you guys are in the Hawk Point area or driving by that area, stop in, say hey. You know they're good people. If you need some bow work done or looking to buy a new bow or rifle or shotgun or whatever your outdoor needs are, they pretty much have you covered there. And when you stop so in, make sure you them. give them a hard time. You know? Yeah. Be yeah. a bitch. Especially, okay. Especially to Josh. Yes. Josh. Josh yeah. Just give Josh. Treat hell, Josh please. like absolute shit. Okay. It's, it's imperative it. that you do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Just kidding, Josh. Kidding. Love you. All right. Onyx. Use the code MWW20 for 20% off. Everybody's using Onyx. It's probably the number one hunting app out there, I would assume. There's no probably. So hopefully you guys no, got the No probably. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, it is. It's, it's it, awesome. I used it I multiple it. times today. Uh, yep. Sometimes, do you ever find yourself just bored and then you get on your Onyx? Dude, there's been multiple times where I've gotten on there like you said, board just checking stuff out. And I have found like owners of stuff that I'm like, Hey, I kind of know those people or, Oh, I didn't know they had property over here. You know, right. I found like two, two coyote hunt spots. That's how I found them. I was like, Oh, I didn't got, didn't realize you guys bought 40 acres over here. Can I coyote? Oh yeah. Go for it. When no we problem. were recording with Grant, so, I got on my Onyx when he was talking about food after the crops come out and I'm like, where where yeah. are they going? Where where you and I are hunting together? Where are they going? I'm gonna find it. And so he's sitting there talking. And I'm on my Onyx looking at a map. You know, it's just uh, so easy to right. use. Check them out onyxmaps.com. Uh, Huntworth Gear. Use our code MWW15 for fifteen percent off. But I don't remember when it's ending. There's a flash sale going on. So discounted prices. Uh, yeah, it might be oh plus more off. Uh, it's it's yeah. a heck of a savings. I, yeah, yeah, it was really good savings, but it might be over by the time they hear this. I it's very wrong. possible. I, sure. I don't do dates very good, but man, I've yeah, been but... been wearing my Huntworth gear, dude. It's uh, I mean, that's all I wear anymore. Hunting, that's what I'm gonna wear this weekend oh, with yeah. the boys. Um, the boys actually have um, Huntworth jackets that I I got for them. They're actually not kid sizes; they're women's sizes that fit them, and um, they're right. gonna, they're gonna have them on with their orange. Dude, we're gonna we're gonna have to yeah we're gonna have to break out the mid season stuff for Sunday. It's gonna be cold. Sunday is supposed 
like a high of like 42 or something like that. If I remember right, it was forties. So it's going to be chilly. It's, I think a lot of deer are going to die this weekend, man. It, it's, it's shaping up to be a really good deer moving type weekend. I hope three deer between the two of us die this weekend. Oh yeah. I hope so too, man. Cause that'd be so. Chase and Caden both getting one and then Brindley, all three of them. That'd be yep. great. That'd be great. Yeah, and now absolutely. after talking to Dr. Grant Woods, I kind of want the boys to shoot a doe. Uh, both of them, you know, I, I so I, t- I had to talk with both of the boys this morning. And I said, yeah. I asked them, what do you want to shoot? You know, we need to talk about what we're going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit the shooter to my right. And the, the kid who's not shooting is going to be to my left because the, the deer should be on our right. And every 30 minutes, I'm going to have you boys switch. That's how we're going to do it. And I said, Were they good with that? Yeah. I said, but what do you guys want to shoot? Because, you know, if Chase wants to shoot a doe or, or Caden, then, you know, that, that could change who's up based on what comes out. And they both decided they want to shoot a buck. And I can understand okay. that, obviously. Sure. But part of me wonders, like, am I ruining these boys? You know, Chase shot a doe last year. You know, technically it wasn't, but we, we all thought it was a doe. It was a button buck, but... And the only thing Caden's ever killed is a buck. Am I am I ruining these boys by not making them shoot does? I don't think you should make them do anything. Uh, and we talk about this at the very end of the show. Uh, make it fun. I right. think they say they want to shoot a buck. I think if a doe pops out, one of them's going to break and be like, "Can I shoot it?" I can. I can talk them into it. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I'd be like, "Dude, you could try to talk them into it." That's a big doe, but it's a big doe, bro. I'm just. I, I think it'll happen naturally. I think it'll be like, Dad, one of them is going to be like, Dad, can I shoot that one? I'll shoot that one. Yeah. That's, yeah. So I, w- I wouldn't pressure too much. Yeah. I don't remember who we were on. I think we were on Huntworth Gear. Alps Outdoors uh, uses the code 2023 Woods Water for 30 freaking percent off. Uh, set up Huge the savings. Set up the freaking blind from them. Um, and so did you. Well, I don't think yeah. you set yours up I, yet. No, I. Oh, you did? Yeah, nice. I set mine up tonight. Uh, Amy took uh, the two oldest, and they had uh, tutoring tonight. And so me and the little one, we went out there, and we were able to set it up. I was hoping to get it set up, you know, a few days ago. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I got it set up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it went smooth, man. So besides my daughter stepping in mud and ruining her new shoes pretty much, oh, everything went pretty good. Oh, you're going to get your ass beat by your oh, Amy? as soon as as soon as I got home, I washed them off as best I could, and I got them on the foot dryer. So I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping she doesn't notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my blind stinks because I put it up wet uh, last time oh, we really? used, and it smells. So uh, it's gonna get sprayed with scent thief based on last week's show. Um, as we're getting yeah. into the blind Saturday morning, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, although it doesn't smell like a human, it yeah, just smells like moldy ass stuff, but. I think we're like mine smells new, so because it's new. Yeah, uh, my last one got trashed, so I I got another one from Alps, and uh, technically Browning, um, but so it smells like new. So I'm hoping I think we're supposed to get some more rain tomorrow. So yeah, that should wash some of that wash away. a lot, wash some of it away, and then definitely gonna give it a coat of scent thief. And then I'm gonna have uh, three Alps chairs inside of it. One for me. Yeah, I only got two for one the boys. Alps. Yeah. Uh, I guess I got two. I got two Alps chairs, uh, but I think Amy wants me to take Lawson with us, which that's going to be difficult. But, you know, 
I don't mind taking him, but he just doesn't do as good with the, you know, sitting still yeah. and being quiet thing. Yeah. So we'll see. I might I might try to just talk her into making it where it's just one night instead of both nights if we don't get something tomorrow. Yep. I'm with we'll you. see. Uh Zamberland yeah. boots. So Check them got... out. Zamberlandusa.com. Yeah. Uh yep. with all this rain with all this rain going on, it's been awesome having my uh I've been wearing my salates a lot for work, so feet been staying nice and dry. So that's nice. Sweet. Uh, yeah, check them out. Reveal yes, cameras sir. by Tacticam. We've we've gotten a few bucks on camera the last couple nights. Nothing huge, but it is uh, it's a good maybe a good sign. Uh, not where we want it to happen, but hey, it is happening, and the reveal cameras are helping us with that. And uh, Habitat Works. We talk about Dustin actually in this show with Dr. Grant Woods, um, because Dustin is the wealth of knowledge when it comes to habitat and Dr. Grant Woods talks about, uh, Oh, cedars and, and how much he hates them. So Dustin comes up and that's <laughs> yeah, because but... Dustin's the man, man. So give him a call. Um, you can find his number on our website, uh, email him at habitatworks, uh, LLC at gmail.com. And if you don't know how to get a hold of him after all those possible avenues, get a hold of us. We'll let you know. Uh, who else? Black Ovis, man. Talk to our boy, Craig, over at Black Ovis today. And um, I think our listeners, you know, we, we all three of us have gotten, um, what do you call them? Saddles, Saddles. this year to, to try out. And Black Ovis is a great place to go look for that stuff. You know, if you're trying to find some stuff. Oh, yeah. um, they, they carry trophy line, got a big shipment in um, recently. Uh, you know, so middle of the year, you're restocked. trying to find some stuff. They're restocked. Uh, and then use our code MWW10 for 10% off when you order. Um, Black Ovis, man, it's it's they've got a lot of stuff, and not a lot of people know who they are in this part of our world yet, the Midwest. So jump right. on it's more jump of, on uh, the bandwagon now yeah. and, and get that stuff out from Black Ovis. And then Camo Fire, same owners. Get on your app while you're hunting. I'm going to try to make that popular. Yeah. You know how, like, the working yeah. class uh, Doug. camera, Doug from oh, working yeah. class says yeah. delete your browser history. I'm going to say yep. get on your app while you're hunting. Doesn't sound as fun, though, so I suck. Get on your – no, it's not as cool, but that's fine. Uh, and that's it for the sponsors, man. We appreciate all of them. that's it, man. Uh, we appreciate all of them very much. And um, let's just hop into today's show with Dr. Grant Woods about doe, all things doe management. This is, and of course we go, yeah. And sorry, of course we go through a few rabbit holes. Oh, obviously, that's just part of it. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's hop yep. into it. This so. is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. 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 <laughs> Later. Podcast. All righty, welcome to the show, y'all. Uh, today. I'm super excited about this guest. We have Dr. Grant Woods, and he's already told me just to call him Grant. Uh, but we really appreciate Grant coming on here. Grant, how are we doing tonight? Man, doing great, and thanks for having me as your guest. Absolutely. Uh, we've been you know, big fans of everything that you do over there at Growing Deer TV, and uh, so this is a real treat for us. Um, before we get kind of going, if there is anybody out there, do you think you could give us a rundown of your background and what you do and uh, all things deer hunting? Well, uh, just a little stab here. I was raised in Missouri on a little farm, no deer. 
uh, there were no, you know, no hunting season in the county I was in, Southern Missouri, the Ozarks. And uh, I wish I could remember, but I heard at the barbershop somewhere they were going to restock deer in the area. And I was running my trap line. I, you know, thought I was a great big trapper. I had a little rabbit trap line, Meadows, Scrap, Barnwood. And one morning it was codes in the winter, and I was checking my trap line, and I found a female fawn dead in one of our little fields. Uh, poacher killed her. First deer I ever saw, poacher killed. So since that moment, I've been fascinated with deer and really a strong disregard for lawbreakers of any kind, but especially wildlife, you know, violation lawbreakers. And I personally believe at that moment, God said, Hey, I want you to be a deer biologist and, you know, share what you learned about creation. Cause I'm 62 and guys my age, I want to be in the army or, you know, be a policeman, be a fireman. I just wanted deer biologist wasn't a term. I just wanted to work for deer and was just hard headed enough to wiggle my way through, find a career and ended up here somehow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Well, not the, and so, not the dead fawn part, but yeah, you know, yeah. Story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one thing we do like to ask all our Missouri residents, what is it about Missouri that you love the most? Like, you know, everybody's got what they say. They all kind of say the same thing, but I'm going to let you answer. What's your favorite thing about the Missouri outdoors? Oh, gosh, about Missouri outdoors, it's got to be the diversity. You know, you go from the, the plains, literally the prairie up north that's now ag, but it was prairie, to I'm in the Ozark Mountains, to the Missouri River and Mississippi River. It's a very diverse state. And I think it's really good people. I'm blessed uh, or cursed to work all over. Daniel was just up in Canada, and we've worked in New Zealand, and I think we've been to 50 some odd different landowners this year, from from Ontario to Texas to Florida, on back up. So uh, Missouri has really good people in it, and uh, all the diversity. And it's just a I've raised two children here, great place to raise kids from the. Wildlife, I want to say this, and I say it very openly. Uh, I think we're really blessed with MDC. I don't work for MDC at all. I'm private. Uh, I don't think people appreciate MDC because they're not in all the other states like I am. And Missouri Department of Conservation does a very good job. I, I, I don't agree with every decision they make. I'll say that to them. But overall, I give them an A. And, and uh, working with some other state agencies, I give MDC an A. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, you know, we're just a couple hours north of you, and you and us are in two different worlds. Oh, yeah. We're in the same state, you know? And that's what I think is so cool about our state, you know? A lot of states don't have that, you know? If you're in if you're in Kansas, you're pretty much in Kansas, although Kansas has some pretty cool stuff. Uh, a lot they of people right. a lot of people think Kansas is boring. I actually think it's pretty damn cool. Um, yeah. You know, you got – some diverse stuff there but you know iowa's iowa you know you just missouri seems like it's just this convergence of a bunch of states that just all kind of like stopped together um you know well you know the states that have irregular borders tend to be that way and the states that have square borders were easy to survey out and there were prairies i'll throw in just a little trivia for you you know so we we probably all, all hunters probably know sections a square mile but as you go further west, sections get larger and larger, literally, because, of course, they didn't have GPS. They were measured with chains, steel or iron chains that were 66 links long. And as those survey crews moved west, those chains wore a little bit between links. Hmm. And, and and they wore enough that when you repull it and repull it and repull it and repull it to get a, you know, a mile going up mountains, down mountains, cross rivers, whatever, they wore. 
And when you get a section, there's sections in Nevada. I used to work in Nevada for the Bureau of Land Management on mule deer. There's sections in Nevada that, you know, way over 700 acres. So just a little, little trivia there for you that in our modern world of GPS and whatnot, we don't even think that's possible, but it's, it's real. Say so you learn something new every wow. day. I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, let's say one other thing while we're just talking about the difference. Uh, Let's just go ahead and kill the genetics myth right now. So, you you know, you got those great big deer like on your wall behind you or up in northern Missouri. Well, about 95% of those deer were stocked up there from right on to Arkansas-Missouri border. Three wildlife refuges down here, Taney, uh, here in Taney County. We got Drury Mincy and and then uh, Caney Mountain, and then Peck Ranch. That was the big stocking source for all of Missouri. Was it really? Little puny Ozark deer. And they got north, exact same genetics, and got groceries. Got to where a lot of sun was hitting the ground, and a couple of generations grew big. It's almost always groceries, and it's almost never genetics. So it's just, and, and that's been replicated in many states over and over and over. And then now all kinds of genetic research, the deer genomes have been mapped out. So let's just kill that myth and get out of the way. Well, it's not genetics, folks. Who did we, man, we got good genetics where we hunt. It's those genetics are really good over there in that soybean field. Well, yeah, because <laughs> they're eating protein. <laughs> so let's just, Micah, let's just kill that one right now. Who was it that we had on that uh, for NDA that said that? I mean, they said it's it's habitat and and food before genetics. Yeah. Uh, gosh, habitat, I, food, time. Yeah, his name's going to hit me as soon as we stop recording. But uh, we had somebody on with National Deer Association. Yeah, that yeah, uh yeah. um goodness gracious lindsey thomas jr uh, i just don't remember if it was lindsey uh because we've had several people on with the national deer association that yeah basically have said the same thing a lot of stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. but we're not well, talking I mean, about bucks tonight are we no we aren't talking about bucks but uh the main reason we wanted to have you on tonight was, was uh doe management and mm-hmm. everybody has their own different views opinions on doe management in itself i i have close friends of mine that i've hunted with for a very long time that refuse to kill does they refuse it and then i have some that let's kill all the does and they're big meat hunters and you know if it's brown it's down so from your experience what and it's and obviously it's going to be different from from where you hunt if you have uh, you know what you have available to you but what is the proper way to manage your dose, in your opinion? Yeah, great question. And I'll, I'll be a little bold here. This is not opinion. This is just science from okay. me and a lot I like of that. researchers. So let's, again, clear that out of the way, not trying to be mean at all. But So there's a, a statement I read in one of my really early wildlife management textbooks that has resonated with me still to today um, that says, Techniques change, but principles never change. Techniques change. Air hammer versus a 16 or, you know, 28 ounce uh, spy camera. Techniques change, but principles never change. So God drive the nail in the two before. The tools we use to do it may be different. Uh, deer management has never changed. The techniques we use from a stone tip to a, you know, a 30 out six or whatever has changed. So doe harvest ideally is used to make sure there's plenty of groceries for all deer in the herd to get all the way through the winter in good health. It's a number of mouths thing. It's not an opinion. It's how much food's on the landscape. And then when you get to where there's just tons of food, then it's social carrying capacity. How much crop damage can the farmer 
tolerate and still make a profit. How many roadkill people? Sounds so harsh. Because deer is the most dangerous animal in North America. More than, you know, rattlesnakes and grizzly bears and lost ball combined because of deer car accidents. So we first should look at the health of the deer herd in most areas. Is there enough groceries for the amount of deer there? And second, what's the social carrying capacity? How are they impacting humans and human goals for that area? So if you're in total closed canopy, Mark Twain, Hercules glades, not much opening, whatever, it's probably somewhat self-regulating. There's just not enough groceries for those does to be uh, very productive. And if you're in ag country and you don't have a doe harvest, they absolutely will exceed social carrying capacity, probably before they exceed biological carrying capacity. And biological carrying capacity is not a point, it's a range. I mean, so, you know, do we want to grow big deer? I know we're not talking about bucks. Then we're probably going to have fewer deer, so there's ample groceries. Do we want medium health deer? Maybe we're okay with those just having one fawn apiece. Then we can have more deer because they're not going to be healthy enough to probably carry twins. So the, the state or the private landowner picks a point on that management continuum from starving to death, you know, way too many deer to one deer per square mile. And you pick that point on the continuum and you adjust the doe harvest to meet those objectives. That sounds complicated, but it's not. And in general state management, they manage like, you know, deer management zones or, you know, zones like Missouri has. And other states have even smaller zones down to counties or whatever. And you say, boy, in this area, our farmers are screaming about crop damage or the roadkill numbers are really high or... Boy, our hunters, our hunter success was really low last year. We need to let that deer population build up a little bit because deer herd reproduction is totally controlled by does. One buck can breed a lot of does. We're not, we're not adjusting population by buck harvest. That's an excuse or, you know, that, that, that thing's got antlers on my shoot it type story. But right. we control deer population by doe harvest. And you know through Missouri's history here, we've pretty much been a one buck in gun season and then one or two in bow season if you don't take one in gun season for decades but that doe quota has been up and down a bunch did we have a really bad ehd outbreak in an area boy we need to back off that doe harvest a little bit or you know whatever it is so doe harvest if we're doing real deer management is a scientific tool and let's take that one step farther here a lot of hunters say boy i'm my excuse me, my land or wherever I hunt, it's 10 does per buck or 25 does per buck, whatever. Well, that's a good story, but it's absolutely not true. It's absolutely not true. So before the gun season, it's almost biologically impossible for that sex ratio to be more than one buck to 3.3 does. Because am I, am I too scientific here? Y'all no, feel free to read. No, it. this is great. No. Yeah, let's perfect. think of a deer herd as this pyramid. In the base of the pyramid, unless there's something really weird going on, it's going to be fawns, right? There's more fawns than any other age class because they haven't had time to die yet, mm -hmm. right? Not many seven-year-olds. They've had a lot of opportunities to die. But fawns, depend on, you know, if you do it two minutes after birth, they haven't had a lot of time to die yet. And fawns are coming out, the sex ratio is almost always 50-50. We consider a fawn or fetal sex ratio – 
of 48 to 52, about as far skewed as it gets. Well, that's the most deer. Mm -hmm. So if you harvested almost every single buck that is a year and a half old or older, the next spring with that huge fawn crop coming in at 50-50, it pulls it back to about one buck for every 3.3 does. So a, a lot of hunters talk about the adult, not the deer herd sex ratio, the adult sex ratio after in Missouri, you know, 150,000 bucks have been harvested. And you're looking out over a picked cornfield. Well, yeah, you may see a lot of antlerless deer. A lot of those are really big button bucks that you don't see through your optics at 400 yards close to dark uh -huh. or short spikes. But sex ratios don't get to be 10 to 1. That's misinformed. Hmm. I mean, is there ever a time where it gets so skewed that it is that, or is it almost always going to scientifically be that pyramid and you can kill what you think is every buck out there, but as soon as there's a bumper crop of fawns the next year, it's going to pull that number right back to almost yeah, one that, to 3.3. That's, that's fact. Go to bed knowing that's true. That's fact. Hmm. We have a lot of evidence. So these aren't just theories, guys. I'm a real, I'm a hands-on. If you can see my hands callous, I'm a hands-on biologist. Uh, so uh, Pennsylvania uh, didn't start doing what we commonly refer as quality deer management, letting bucks get older and harvesting up those till I don't know, 10, 12, 14 years ago, something like that. Before that, 90% of their harvest would be bucks every year, year after year after year, decade after decade, literally. And they would kill a big percentage of the standing stock of bucks. They would kill a couple of two-year-olds, one or two three-year-olds statewide. Pennsylvania is a big state, guys, mm -hmm. and mainly yearling bucks. They just slaughtered that standing crop of yearling bucks every year, every year. And the deer herd, biologically speaking, was okay. It wasn't growing big bucks. And hunters actually, hunters were so used to seeing all these deer and shooting the first buck they saw, I got my buck, I got my buck, uh, that when the state started trying to encourage some doe harvest and passing up younger bucks, it was a major revolt. The deer ball just literally, I know him personally, literally wore a bulletproof vest because there was life threats on him all the time. Oh, goodness. Literally. Oh, wow. So we have this data. One thing I find about hunters, we tend to live in our little county or, you know, southern Missouri or whatever. A lot of people don't know that, you know, the rut in South Florida and the Everglades area of South Florida, boy, it peaks out about late January. The mosquitoes and season opens August 1st. The mosquitoes are horrible. Season in coastal plains, South Carolina, 20 plus counties, opens August 15th. You can use dogs to chase them or corn to bait them. It doesn't close till January, and there's no limit. If you shoot 500 a day and you got the landlord tags your pocket, have at it. So there's a whole lot of data out there that we can apply everywhere, not just what happened, you know, in our little area. Sure. Well, so, and this is coming from my buddy that said he won't shoot a doe to save his life. Yeah. Um, what? How does that affect, I know we weren't going to talk about bucks, but how does that affect yeah the bucks and the rut and you know because obviously a lot of us out there we want to kill a big buck i mean that's yeah i do it for a lot of reasons but one of the reasons is you know i like to harvest mature animal um so how does the number of does affect the buck side of things 
Great question. So it goes back to what we started talking about. There's a finite amount of groceries, even in Iowa. But that finite level is way closer to the ground. You get down here in the Ozarks or where the, a lot of the land's covered by timber, right? Because timber is not – we're kind of associate timber, good deer habitat, but it's not. The prairie – if I said, hey, guys, man, I've really enjoyed this podcast. We work in every state that has whitetails. I got friends in every state that has whitetails. I really enjoyed y'all. You just pick a state, and I'm going to line this out to hunt. Where would y'all want to go? Iowa. Iowa, probably. Yeah. Iowa, Kansas, yep. a prairie state where mm-hmm. the sun's hitting the ground everywhere. Because to get down to the basics, it's all about sunshine, zero, three feet off the ground. Growing antlers is not about protein. It's about carbon. Deer are about 70% carbon. You're about 70% carbon. You're about 70% carbon. I'm about 70% carbon. And, and, and I'm being a little facetious here, but it's really about photosynthesis. And if you remember your seventh grade biology, photosynthesis, C6, H12O6, started the formula right, six carbons off the bat. Well, when that photosynthesis is happening in an oak tree, you know, 40, 50, 70, 80 feet up in the air, there's nothing for deer to eat down there. And, 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 and acorns are a small pulse, an unreliable pulse in a deer's diet. They're very unreliable. Uh, it's protein all summer, and that takes photosynthesis at zero to three feet off the ground, basically. So everyone wants to go hunt in Iowa, Kansas, you know, Illinois, somewhere like that, but then they won't cut any trees on their own property. So doe harvest, Damn it, to your Grant. question specifically. <laughs> so every farmer that takes every tree off is actually correct. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you know, you, you always hear is often better. Yeah, we always hear that joke. You know, like uh, uh, yeah. I always give my father-in-law a hard time because he's like, "Oh, get rid of the trees." You know, get rid of the deer. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, absolutely, all the cedars. If I could flip my finger and get rid of them all today, I'd be a happy guy. Um, so there's only so much food, and if you have too many does, they're eating groceries. Deer consume, and these are round numbers, about 5% of their body weight a day. So 100-pound dough, 5 pounds of food a day. Now, remember, that water is passing through, is coming out as urine or part of feces, or they're respirating. So deer tend to need to eat about 17 pounds wet weight. You know, I'm talking about summer and ragweeds growing. Deer love ragweed or soybeans or whatever. Uh, they have to eat about 17 pounds as the plant's growing to actually get five pounds of dry weight. Wow. And there's not so much food out there. That yeah. is, and I, I want you to think yeah, about I didn't realize this. how much that is. Yeah. So uh, here's when you really think about it. I challenge you and your listeners to do this. Get you, know, you know, grocery store bag, brown paper sack, tub, whatever. You don't have to, you don't have to pick even stuff deer will eat. Go pick 17 pounds of just leaves. You'd be wore out. You have tennis elbow. You'd be wore out. Wore out. And deer aren't doing that. They're picking the best food they walk by. They're very selective feeders. If you think about a cow or a buffalo or even an elk, they have a big, wide muzzle. Just They eat grass. Grass grows everywhere. They're grass eaters. Deer don't have the right bacteria in their gut to digest the cellulose in grass. They're forb eaters. They're broadleaf plant eaters. Uh so they're much pickier, long, narrow mouth, real narrow mouth. You, if you look at their structure, you go, man, that's a picky, that, that deer's got a picky diet, which they do. And buffalo, which weigh 2,000 pounds, big adult male, they're not picky. If it's grass, they're putting it in their belly. 
So the more does we have on the landscape, there's just less food for the rest of the herd. It's not just bigger antlers. The other does aren't getting enough groceries, so they're not producing enough milk for their fawns, male or female fawns. So doe harvest, again, goes back to the health of the deer herd and making sure there's enough groceries. And then if you want better hunting from a rattling or a grunt call or scrape behavior, and I have published this, I say published in scientific stuff, not, you know, Joe Bubba Deer Journal. Um, if you have, if you can, and I've done this on several properties, like on our place this year, we we'll probably killed 20 does and four bucks. We do that year after year. My typical write-up for a lot of people I work for is harvest five does for every buck. We've done that for 11 years straight on a large property, never ran out of deer, but the hunting sure was awesome. Hmm. If you dropped your grunt call and it squeaked a little bit, you'd get run over by three bucks. Wow. Wow. So what you just said made me think of a question. Uh, so, you know, if, if there's not enough groceries, as you call it, for, you know, all the deer at a certain time, and let's say a doe has uh, twin fawns, uh, which Mike and I had this happen this year. That's why I, I'm asking. Now, I don't know what exactly happened to the second fawn, but if there's not enough milk for her to produce for both fawns, will she pick one? I mean, can do we have any, you know, studies that says she will only give nutrition no, no, to no, one no, or no, it, no, just, no, no, it just no, happens? No, no, no. Both, of them get, both the studies actually show both of them will get weak and malnourished. Hmm. Coyote picked that other fawn off. You know, accidents happen, hit a barbed yeah. bar fence, whatever. Right. She did not She did not select a fawn. I always wondered that because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you had to pick between your two buddies, one of them's got to die. You know, I, I they don't think that way. But, um, no, no. you know, we me and Micah had – uh, a set of twin fawns on a, a farm that we we hunt and one of them had a real bad ticks all around its its eye like so bad that yeah, i don't even yeah. know how the thing could see and it was like that for a few weeks and then that fawn stopped showing up on on camera and so yeah we assumed it died yeah. um but yeah. it made us think about you know the drought that we were having and you know the amount of food that they've gotten um was that, you know, that thing didn't the look. the tick issue you're talking about. So when there's less food and deer got to stick their head down to brambles more to find something to eat, they're going to get more ticks. Hmm. And and the whole herd health, if we just take this doe harvest skin from the whole herd health, there's a, a real common thing. It's not used in Missouri much. Southern states do it a lot uh, called herd health checks. And they're typically harvest five or ten does off a given property after dinner seasons. And besides body weight and all the obvious stuff they do, the, the deer don't have four stomachs like you hear. They have one stomach with four chambers. And in one of the chambers, a real common parasite, the large stomach worm, homonchus contortus, for all you science folks out there listening, but the large stomach worm. And you can see with your naked eye a, a big a big adult, one of those worms that look like a blonde hair or white hair, about three inches long. So we use a 10-power scope to see it makes it easier. But you can see them with your naked eye. You know, you're sorting through horrible, smelly stuff. It's something graduate students do. I don't do this anymore. That's what grad <laughs> students are for. But anyway. And if we look in this, that chamber of the stomach, and we find, you know, zero, which never happens, to 500 of those worms, we say, boy, there's plenty of food out there. And if we find 500 to 1,500, this is a relative index, obviously, probably about enough food for the deer. They're not going to express their full potential. If we find over 1,500, boy, that doe harvest running is up. And the reason that's so accurate 
is because the life cycle, that parasite, of course, it goes in the deer, reproduces, comes out the back end, and then the young go up vegetation. Well, the closer to the ground deer are eating, the more of those young they ingest. They're getting a heavier parasite load. Well, that's true for cattle and sheep and a lot of things. And if you're running too many cattle on your pasture, if you weren't vaccinating them, they would be in really bad shape. You drive by Missouri and, you know, half the fescue pastures are lip, what I call lip high. Cow can't get their lip in closer to the ground to browse the grass off. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true in a lot of deer habitat. And you walk out there, oh, that ain't my place, man. I got all these brown leaves. Deer don't eat dead brown leaves. And, and you know, all this green stuff out here, which probably buck brush or something deer don't eat at all. When we get to actually looking at plants deer eat, a lot of areas outside the ag area is very poor habitat because fire's been excluded. It's a closed canopy forest. There's a lot of issues. Or, and I'm just sharing this as an example, if you're at my place and we've cut hundreds of acres of cedars and use fire every year. I did a fire the other day because I knew this rain was coming in. I mean, I burn year round. I burn all, all the time. When it, if, I burn when God burned. If it's dry enough, I burn. Mm-hmm. I call that the God burning plan, not being, trying to be sacrilegious at all. But because when we read, like here in Missouri, if you guys aren't familiar, there was, you know, we got Lewis and Clark and the Great Journal, but there was a gentleman that come through here, Schoolcroft, looking for lead deposits. And I like his book. It's about 88 pages long because he's right over here at Beaver Creek, you know, 15 miles of the crow flies from me. His observations was right here at my place. And he went through here when there were still Native Americans. He was dodging Native Americans looking for lead deposits. But he kept a journal like Lewis and Clark. And so we know exactly what this habitat looked like. And there was almost no cedar trees. And he never mentioned ticks. Can you imagine camping out for 80 days, including part of the summer in Missouri, and not writing about ticks? That'd be great. Have you ever read Lewis and Clark's journal? They don't talk about ticks. That's because there was so much big-scale fire. Fire is the best tool we have to get rid of ticks. And not burning our woods has allowed tick populations and other management things just to explode. People don't like to burn in the Northeast, and they got ticks like crazy. It's illegal to burn. You can't burn, You can't legally burn in New York. You can't burn your own land in New York. It's illegal. Wow. Why anyone would live in New York is beyond me. If well, you can't burn, you should not live there. Me too. That 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 is interesting. I mean, you, don't, you don't hear about things like ticks in anything you read from back in the day. And that's they weren't they weren't an issue. We've got a, a good friend who is a uh, uh, he has a degree from Missouri University of Missouri and in, in habitat or I can't remember exactly what the degree itself is, but yeah. he uh, he talks about the reason why cedars are what they are now is because historically fire controlled them, you know, and now nobody burns anymore, so now they're able to be invasive, which is what they are, and um, go do what they're going to do. So super invasive, the state of Oklahoma, and they use satellite imagery to figure this. So it's not one farm or something, but they think they lose about 700 acres to cedars across that state a day. Jeez, that a day? In. Oh my gosh. Now that's, you know, a cedar here, cedar there, but they're comparing satellite images of the state from one year to the next and counting up how many acres were lost to cedars. Right. By the way, you listeners out there, especially in Missouri, but a lot of states, the NRCS, National Resource Conservation Service, again, I'm self-employed, I do not work for a government agency, uh, has a bunch of money right now for people to cost you removing cedars from their land because they are that invasive. And ticks need moisture and shade. They desiccate. They dry out really quickly. 
So when you cut those cedars and put some sun to the ground and burn and get those native species growing, that tick population is going to drop. That'd be great. I know I definitely plan on doing it. I plan on doing it this upcoming burning season. It's obviously wet right now, but because the ticks are just, it's just ridiculous. I I hunt, I have 60 acres, half of it's alfalfa field that the farmer plants and the other half is timber. And and, uh, I've gone in there the few times I've gone in there this summer uh, to do, you know, management things, clearing out brush and doing whatever I need to do hundreds of ticks i've gotten you know those little baby ticks seed ticks. ticks people want yep. to call them they're just baby yeah but they're babies is what they are and walk through a few nests of those that makes for a long evening trying mm-hmm. to get all those off so i i can't wait to burn just to just to take care of the ticks so alone. i want you to burn but so your listeners know when you burn under a closed canopy forest you're going to take away some tick habitat you're going to remove that leaf litter but you're not helping the deer because we got to right. get sunshine down to cause those good plants to grow. And and that and like I, we were talking about our buddy Dustin with uh, Habitat Works, he's he's walked the property, and yeah. I definitely need to do that. I need to clear up a lot. It's an it was an old pasture at one point. There's a lot of hedge trees, thorny locusts, yeah. and a lot of useless trees, almost like elms. So a lot of cutting needs to get done. A lot of cutting needs to get done. It, it needs a lot of work. Uh, so I'm just picking at it when I can sort of thing. It's really cool to uh, see people who are educated in certain areas like, you know, Grant with, with deer and Dustin with, well, and, and habitat. Sure. But Dustin, when we were walking through that property together, it's just amazing. He'll be like, yeah, that elm needs to go. Oh, there's a, you know, there's a bur oak. Oh, there's this type of maple. And Mike and I are like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like (laughs) (laughs) would have never known what that tree was. And then he would tell us why this tree is not good you know, why this tree needs to go try to, you know, you get rid of all these trees to help this oak do a little better. Uh, it can, you know, get some more light around it and not get, you know, so choked up. And he was just, uh, it's just interesting to see people who are really good at what they do, do what they do. And uh, it's fascinating for sure. Yeah. So by harvesting does, we can, if needed, provide more food for the rest of the herd. So 100-pound doe, 5 pounds a day, roughly about 2,000 pounds a year. 10 does, that's 20,000 more pounds available on the property, So, which just brings us up. When should you harvest does? That was going to be my next hunters, question. Almost all hunters say, oh, I'm not harvesting after the rut because, man, i, I got to have all that bait for my bucks out here. That's what they're thinking. If I could give hunters one tip to be a better hunter, you know, after putting GPS collars on deer and all the work I've been blessed to do and all the stuff, Here's my one tip, folks, one tip to make you a better hunter. Stop thinking like a human. Start thinking like a deer. You'll be a, you'll be a better hunter tomorrow. Deer don't care anything about gunshots. All oh, my neighbor shot all the deer running through the bed. Uh, I work on military bases. DOD has to spend about 10% of their budget on, on at least something ecology-related. Uh, some of them like to deer hunt. Good for me because no one pays like the government. <laughs> I've seen piles of deer. <laughs> 20 yards off the range while our America's best are suiting automatic weapons. They don't think a gun, we're human. We know what a gunshot is. Deer don't know. Oh, it's thundering. Boy, that's a lot of thunder over day, mama. They don't think about gunshots like we do. You're thinking like a human, not you, but hunters, I did when I was young too. Hunters think like a human. If you well, had I mean, to survive every day, you would think much differently. If you were in the back mountains of Afghanistan right now, 
are on the line in Gaza and Israel, you would not be thinking like you're thinking right now. Right. It's true. I mean, and just well, that's, to, how deer, that's how deer live every day. Yeah. Just to back you up. Uh, one of my customers, I, I deliver propane. So I, you know, I'm out in rural country yeah. and one of my customers is a shooting range and yeah. you know, it's a, they go in, well, I was in there the other day cause it's getting close to rifle season. So everybody's sighting in their guns and it's surrounded by crop and I'm driving down the driveway and there's six, I think it was five or six does just sitting there feeding. And there was probably six or seven guys out there just shooting, shooting the rifles, getting everything going. They could care less. So, so it's, yeah, they could care less at all. It's yeah. whatever deer get conditioned to like, you know, in town, you see deer all over the golf course, there's city parks all day long. Cause it's dangerous out there at night, man. There's meth heads shooting around and coyotes running all at night and stuff like that. It's safe during the day in most city parks anyway. So what, and then people always say, cause like, I want to park, I'm not lazy. I, I walk a lot, but I want to park my four wheeler or my buggy at the base of the stand or tree. I don't want to walk quarter mile in there because then I'm leaving my human state. I'm respirating. I'm, you know, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Deer hear buggies every day. The worst thing you can do is have your hunting property say, no one go there all summer. I hear this all the time, man. No one. And then, you know, day before opening day, there's 50 buggies out there riding around checking stands and blinds. Well, that sends the signal to deer. It's not the buggy. It's that there's activity there hadn't been all summer. Mm-hmm. I want to hunt conditioned deer. I'm, we're on our property working. Like I said, I was just doing fire, doing stuff almost every day out of the year. My wife's out there walking like, honey, could you please not walk during the pre-rut? But, you know, she's out there with her lady friends walking around. The dog's running all over the place. Our deer are just used to it. I'm not saying they're easier to hunt, but, they, you know, they're just yeah. deer going to survive. We got a guy we know. We've talked about this several times recently. It's come up several times for some reason. We've got a guy we know that all summer long he feeds his deer you know whatever he feeds them and he takes his side by side every time and leaves it running and then dumps the food and then leaves and he says not 30 minutes later there will be every big buck on that farm will be at that food site and he said it's better than that i'm I'm anti-feeding you know sure yeah we have too many diseases folks but for those feed texas whatever in Texas, they feed so much, literally, they will hear if you in the same bug your truck that they feed out of all the time, they'll be standing in the Sidero before you get there. It's like the ice cream truck pulls in the neighborhood, always playing real loud music, and the kid says, Mama, give me a dollar, I'm going to go get an ice cream. When the deer hear that, you know, old Dodge truck out there bringing the corn feeder around, there'll be sta- turkeys, quail, deer, be javelinas, hogs, standing in the road waiting for the truck to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's, being on African safari. that's what he said when when hunting season comes around he obviously can't feed anymore in the state he uh yeah. he still drives his side by side because oh, yeah. the deer are associating that sound with food and so so it's you know he he has apparently killed some 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 great deer um yeah. maybe because of an actual sound he's making going in there instead of trying to be quiet and slipping in there and all that stuff you know no doubt it's like pavlov's dog Mm -hmm. just the same conditioning if you remember from schooling sometime excuse me about pavlov's dog for those that never learned that in school pavlov was a german scientist course over in europe somewhere and he fed dogs every day i think it was at three o'clock in the afternoon for 60 days on 61st day he didn't feed them and want to see if they you know how their behavior be well they bit the heck i know i'm teasing they started salivating (laughs) He would always ring a bell and feed them, ring a bell and feed them, ring a bell and feed them. When he rang the bell, didn't feed them. That was a conditioned response. That's where the term come from, that study. 
and they started salivating. So you can, most hunters condition deer to avoid them, right? Well, I'm not going there to opening day. And then they go in there. Well, of course, you know, I got something strange happening in my bedroom here. I'm going, I'm getting the heck out of here. So it's a conditioned response. And that's why the farmer drives his old truck around checking cows, whatever, and sees all the big bucks. You drive in there and they run like crazy because they're used to the farmer every day. They're used to that vehicle yeah. every day. Actually, yeah, we were that first time I saw you. I don't know if we were talking, if we were recording when I said this, but I saw Grant in a, uh, a seminar that he did uh, a long time ago. And you were telling that uh, if you were, if you're one of those people to go out there and dump corn, you know, whenever it's legal, uh, take your shirt off, put that shirt right next to the corn pile, leave it. Next time you do it, do the same thing. And then that would condition the deer to be okay. To associate you your smell. <laughs> Yeah, to yeah. associate your smell with food or something positive. I so. mean, if you're on a big golf course, it's a big issue is the deer won't get off the fairway for you to play through, you know, because they're so used to humans. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Micah? Yeah. So so you, and I, was... you and I are about to go out and sweat our butts off. <laughs> well, I think it's yeah. a little late in the it's game. A, to next, year, next year, next year, next <laughs> year. <laughs> so – the ideal day to harvest doe, if you're going to just say hey, wherever you're hunting, whatever your goal, your management goal is 10 does, just for easy math. The ideal time to harvest those 10 does is the first day. The first, first day September you can. 15th through Missouri. Because that's just less food they're going to consume. And everyone says, oh, the bucks are going to leave because, you know, you're like, well, I thought the party was here. There's no party here. I'm going to drive across town and go to party over there. You're thinking like a human. The research after research after research state after state after state people have put gps collars on deer and the data almost always come back saying there'll be a few bucks that roam all over but 90 percent plus i'm just throwing a number out they're committed to their home range you can't drive them out at home range people researchers in south carolina have used dogs trained deer dogs to try to make deer leave their home range they just circle they're not leaving their home range they don't know there's more does over there they don't have the internet. They don't have the radio. They don't have an iPhone. That's a different universe to them. Now, what? what will happen is, you know, here's the does home range. Here's the bucks home range. They overlap 10%. Comes November. She's got that magic perfume on. They overlap around the corner of home range. Well, he's following her home. GPS studies show this, and, you know, they're zigzag, do whatever the does, you know, going all over. And when that date's over 24 to 36 hours later, wherever that buck is in her home range, get back on my camera here, it's a straight line back to his home range. Here go across golf courses, rivers, swimming pools. He's going back because he's scared. He was, you know, on a date and not thinking right like a high school boy. And then all of a sudden he realizes this date's over and I got to go home because they're most secure in their home range. They know the thermals. They know the threats. They know the coyote dens. They're not out. It's not the, and another thing drives me nuts because, again, people thinking like people instead of a deer. The old big buck isn't cruising the county doing most of the reproduction. Not true at all. Mature bucks rarely breed more than a year and a half old buck. Hmm. Micah, that, that, really? that gives me hope for that, that, our big boy that has been gone for like a month. Yeah. Remember, I've always said uh, that, it can't be a bad thing that they are comfortable where you are. So, Grant, just to give you an idea, we have me and Micah have this buck that we would love to kill this year. And during the summertime, we saw him on our cameras every single day. I mean, every single day. And we haven't seen him since, well, 
September 1st, we, he disappeared for two weeks, and then he showed up on the 14th, and then one more time on the 27th, and then since then we haven't had a single photo of him. And we're both sitting here going, well, he's gone. He went to a different range. But I've always he thought in the back of my – he just is following some does or, do, or doing something no, different no, in his range. How, how big is the property? How big an area did you have covered by cameras? Uh, Only probably about – 25 percent of the the timber area honestly there's there's I mean, more is that 10 acres or 200 acres what, what would you say that? micah 40 yeah the t- the timber itself is probably around that 30 40 mark it's surrounded by the majority of the property that we have permission to is mostly crop but sure. there is yeah. about yeah. 30 40 so acres of 40 acres and there's 640 acres in a square mile if that deer's home range at that time years a square mile you know you're a real small part yeah of his home range. So not being on a camera in 40 acres, just, you know, a crop is harvested or, or acorns start dropping over here, you know, whatever happened. That's just a little shift. That's, he did not leave his home range. He left where you had cameras. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. We need to buy more cameras. Makes sense. I'm just kidding. We already got too <laughs> many cameras already. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, you're not your bucks are not gonna leave because you harvested does. That there's tons and tons of data on this. And then when you're in gun season, people say, "Well, I'll, I'll fill my doe tag." You know, after I get my buck, the first thing I want to do Saturday morning, opening day, gun season, Missouri, is drop a doe right in front of me. Shoot her through both shoulders, drop her right there. About 25% of the big bucks I kill with a gun are when I've already killed a doe during that hunt, that set, not two days before. And the work, I don't ever want to get down and move the deer. I'm just putting human sin out there. Because deer don't think of dead like humans do. If we're out there and we walk up on a dead human, you know, we're freaking out a little bit, most likely. I'm such a deer hunter. I go, well, I'll call cops later. I'm going on my stand. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But, <laughs> no, we, we have all kind of videos, published videos on our channel of bucks coming in to dead does. They don't think about dead like we do. That's just a, that's just a doe laying there. They're getting down their antlers, try to make them stand up, do all kinds of stuff to them. So the best bait you're going to have is a fresh killed doe. That's a good point. Oh, wow. See now, now I'm trying to. Now I'm thinking maybe I should have one of the boys drop a doe Saturday morning. There you go. First thing. First thing. First thing. First thing. Crack of daylight. Not a bad crack idea. Daylight. And make sure it's a double shoulder shot, so they're laying right there. You don't doesn't do any good if you shoot it and it runs off three hundred yards where you can't <laughs> see it, and all the bucks are going to be over there. Yeah, that would not work out well. <laughs> uh, one other question, and this is kind of, uh, I guess, personal, just because uh, that property that me and Nathan talked to that we both have permission on to, I've noticed a lot of where we have a lot of pictures of coyotes. Uh-huh. And I know that de- coyotes obviously kill, kill deer. Uh-huh. We're getting pictures almost every night of coyotes. And we're not getting that many pictures of deer. How, what effect do coyotes, I know that they're part of the landscape and everything, and we do our part of managing it. Should we go ahead and go and manage those coyotes before, and that might help bring our deer back around, or is it just- I doubt it's going to help bring the deer. I get, I get pictures. I had one trail camera last two nights ago. I had a raccoon, a bobcat, a coyote, and a bear all on the same trail camera, and seven deer. Oh, wow. At different okay. times. So another they live thing. out there with that all the time. Yeah. Now I'm all for legally harvesting coyotes, but it's tough to make a difference. I trap intensely mm-hmm. on my properties. 
it's not so much the coyotes are spooking a deer moving, but they are tremendous fawn predators. There's research out South Carolina. This research right. is over a decade old. It's really cool, sophisticated. They put a vaginal implant transmitter. Just means they're putting a, you know, something with a GPS sensor on it inside the doe before the rut. Semen will just swim right by. It sure conceive. 200 days later, that's the gestation period for a white-tailed deer. 200 days later, that fawn will be born, and it will push that transmitter out of the birth canal. As soon as it changes from inside that doe, which is about 100 degrees, to outside, that big change in temperature sends a signal, and graduate students, again, graduate students, are sent out there to find that fawn as quick as they can, usually within four hours. It was a big research, big property, bunches of deer GPS, not like two or three, bunches and bunches. Now, this is in South Carolina. The South does a whole lot more research on deer than Missouri ever thought about. South will do more research on deer in one year than we're doing 10. Damn. It's just a different different study area. It's not a priority here. I'm not knocking. It's just it's a different priority. Uh, in that study, 70% of the fawns were dead. Dang. By coyotes. From co- right, coyotes. Wow. I'm not saying that's true everywhere. Coyotes sure. were new in South Carolina. They finally moved there, and they were a novel predator. Deer didn't really know how to avoid them. Deer have been dodging coyotes in Missouri for longer than all of us have been. Yeah. Uh, but coyotes are big fawn predators. Bears in some areas are reported to kill up to 40% of the fawn crop. I don't think that's true in Missouri, but in some areas. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that wants to eat a six-pound pink sandwich. That's yeah. about what a fawn Would was. Would you be more worried about the coyotes, like we just talked about, the same property Mike and I have been talking to you about, about every three to five days – we will also get pictures of dogs running through the property, domestic dogs. Do they yeah. call? Do they cause more issues with deer than coyotes? Or they can They certainly can. See, that's what we we've been saying to each other: is those damn dogs are causing more problems than the coyotes do. Um, what I what is it they do? Do they just do they harass? Be, say again. Do they just harass the deer more than they do kill oh, things? They kill deer. They yeah, kill deer. Sure. They bust a lot of turkey nest up. They bust a lot of turkey nest up um yeah that's a bad thing yeah i know and unfortunately in missouri it's illegal to appropriately deal with that i know <laughs> yeah. but that is a very bad i don't have respect for people that don't take i have a dog, my wife has a dog loves dogs we have a dog you know blood trailing antler finding i've always been uh, my family always had dogs i had a border had cows when i was a kid I had a border collie loved dogs but i just didn't allow my dog to run willy-nilly yeah you know on everyone else's property That'd be like me running really nilly on their on their property. They wouldn't like that. Yeah, we we've kind of went back and forth on what we should do. I mean, because we don't want to rock, you know, rustle any feathers since you know we we've been given permission out there, and it, you know we don't want to say, hey, can we go it, talk? It is a crime in Missouri, so you know, unless you feel threatened, it's a crime. No, no, we're not talking about dogs. killing the dogs. Definitely not. We're talking about going and talking to the finding out where they're yeah. coming from and going and talking to the owner. But, you know, then we're like, well, we don't want to make them angry. And then they get angry at the farmer because these guys came to our house and yelled at us or whatever. And so we've we've left it alone. But then every time we see those pictures, we're like, dude, we've got to we've got to figure out where these dogs are coming from and say something. I would say more than likely, given what you told me about the property, there's has there been crops harvested close to you or the beans brown and the green down the road or no, everything's been harvested. Yep. Even even away from your property, is there one field that hadn't been harvested in the neighborhood or something? Well, the 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 crops that are around where we are at are pretty much the only crops in that area. 
Um, so the farm we're on, and there's a farm south to it, and then a farm um, in the exact connects to the the one that we have permission on. That's the only crop. Everything else is in hay fields and, and timber to the west and south. Yeah, but, but we're talking say, probably probably a section's worth. It's probably around 600 acres of crop, give yeah. or take. Yeah. I would say, you know, deer move to acorns or something. Shifts in food are what usually cause deer to move. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's, that's what we Those assume. Those dogs have probably been running through there a long time. Probably have. Still annoy the hell out of us every Shit. time we see it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand. It's, it's a form of trespassing that's bad. What else you got, um, Mike? Is there... Yeah, getting back to the doe management aspect, me not being a biologist or that smart, how can I go out into my property that I hunt and be able to tell if I have too many does? Is it, I'm sure I, let's, start, let's, let's start real basic. Have you been harvesting does in the past? Yes. What'd you say, Mike? Yes. I don't think, I think you cut out. Yes, yes, I have. Like how many? Like uh, one a year. Or? I usually kill one a year, and then the landowner he's uh, taken usually at least one a year, if not, and he every once in a while allows buddies. But probably on average, I would say there's probably three to four killed a year on the property. off that mile square area. No, this is off of my sixty acres that I have permission. Okay. Obviously, it butts up to a bunch of other stuff, big timber. There's conservation ground real close by. I mean, just but, give me a guess. How many deer, bucks, or does, whatever you think's been killed off the mile square each year? Just a just a rough guess. A lot more than three or four. I would assume I would say it's pretty safe that there's probably fifteen fifteen to thirty deer killed in that area a year. Thirty'd be a lot per mile. That'd be a lot. I'm, okay. And I mean, like I said, yeah, like I said, I only have permission for the 60 acres. I know that there are hunters around me and there's also a conservation ground that butts up pretty close to where I know it's in that square mile range. So I don't know exactly. I see a car there every night, whether they're killing something, I don't know. But so it's probably more, I guess you would probably 10 to 20 might be safer bet. We don't know. Okay. So we don't know. So yeah. Crops growing around you, what what are those crops? Is that a standard corn, soybean rotation, or what's being grown around you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, Alfalfa in my area, and then uh, real close by is bean and corn. Okay. Uh, so it sounds like you got plenty of groceries during the growing season. It's in the winter, like now after those crops have been harvested, when groceries are short. And if you still have alfalfa out there standing, they cut all the beans and corn to deer on the alfalfa. Oh, yeah. Every night. Yeah, that's a given. Because deer, deer are slaves to their gut. When you've got a big rumen, you got to eat a lot. It's like me and ice cream, buddy. I got to have it, and they, you know, deer got to eat. They just got to have it. So, deer are slaves to their gut, and they're going where the food is, and they're, and more importantly, that they're going to the food that they don't feel pressured, that they feel safe. You know, if if there's the best food in the world, but there's five, um, you know. Uh, Navy SEALs up there picking someone off to get as close to it, or there's safe food down the road a mile, we're all walking down the road a mile because we know we're going to die if we go there. And deer, remember, deer condition to danger very rapidly. So if there's a farmer that doesn't allow any hunting and he's got food, that's where the deer are. 
Makes mm. sense. Yeah. So, um, but in your case, it sounds like the metric is how much food is there after the crops are harvested. And if there's not much, you probably need to harvest some does. Okay. And I think what yeah, would really help you from what you're telling me here, and again, I have not seen your property. Sure. Right. From what you're telling me, I would be killing some trees at minimum, making a couple of hidey hole food plots on the highest piece of ground. Because higher ground, the wind doesn't swirl as much. When you get down low, your scent's going to swirl a lot more. I'd have me a hidey hole food plot on that high ground. So when the crops are harvested, deer are coming at a hidey hole food plot. That would be a very successful technique for you. Okay. And the la- no, last no. part of that is to approach hunt next without alerting deer. Because remember, the most important thing to a deer is survival. We know that by measuring cortical steroids. That's a, a, the fight or flight hormone. Okay. Or steroid, actually. But anyway, so uh, if that gets really elevated in the blood system, they're scared. You know, this is something that can be monitored. You put a little tiger urine in the pen, take a blood sample, a lot, a lot of things we can do. Um, so, but it sounds to me like, man, when those crops get harvested, you put you a hidey old food plot close to a bedding area in that timber, you got to have sunshine to grow a hidey old food plot, kill a you know, four or five hedge trees, drag the brush out of way, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you hide your food plot, you're going to see deer. And make two or three so you can approach whatever wind it is that day. That's not a bad no, I mean, that makes me sense. Nuts. People, people make all the, you know, they, they're going to make a hide your food plot and they're going to put up one stand or blind or whatever. Well, that's good for one wind direction. If I'm going to go to the trouble of making a food plot, I've usually got two stands or two blinds or something around it so I can hunt that under multiple winds. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot and, of sense. And Right, I, and, and I have, I do have in the timber, uh, there was an opening. I did a little bit of work to it, and I made it a little bit bigger. I put a yeah. clover plot. Yeah. Put a clover plot in there, and then there, – my plan next year there's another opening it's a little bigger and it's kind of a like an l-shape type deal uh-huh. and i plan on clearing it out a little better and putting in another uh some type of food plot um so that would definitely help for sure yeah. but it does sound like i need to kill some more does <laughs> yeah and i think it's we could do the same to... thing uh the same thing micah at the property you and i have together you know i think you know depending on if we are able to Putting food yeah, where think, putting food where they were all summer, all summer, but when those beans leaves fall off, corn goes away, that that food source is now gone. He's he's somewhere else eating somewhere else in his his range. So you know if we can do something to keep keep those deer there, um, might help us out. You know moving forward too. With the right. landowner's permission, only if you get permission from landowner. Yeah. When those bean leaves start turning yellow, just get just you know some cereal rye or whatever you want to plant and walk down the rows of the beans and broadcast some seed on the edge by the timber of that field. It's not going to hurt the beans once the leaves turn brown or you know start turning. They're they're, they're done. They're just anyway. waiting for the beans to dry, and you can make a food plot right there in that ag field. It's probably going to be bare all winter. Yeah, but you need permission from the farmer first. If he's going to burn it down or give it a herbicide treatment in spring, it doesn't matter. Right. It's going to be weeds or your food plot crop out there. Yeah, but it's really easy to make a food plot. Not not as easy in the cornfield, but in a bean field, it's very easy because you can spread the seed 
the combine header heads are so wide they're just going down two tracks the header's not going to cut your food plot crop mm-hmm. and you can All make right. and soybeans are legumes or nitrogen fixers so your your food plot crop's going to grow and you know if there's a pinch point or you know a, a point sticking out or somewhere you think boy deer always go by here i wish i had a way to stop them you can just spread some seed on top of the beans once they start turning yellow because once they start turning yellow enough sun is going through there to allow your your crop to grow if you do it when there's a big full green canopy those green leaves are built to capture sunshine they're very efficient at that so you're not going to get enough sun down there for your crop to grow very well but once they start wilting and turning colors there'll be enough sun down there for your crop to grow not a bad idea at all no what, no we're gonna have to make a phone call after this <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh for next year yeah we got all these ideas yeah. now uh what else you got micah yeah. um i mean i I tell you what i've i i feel like i've learned yeah a i can't lot. think of any other questions off the top of my head is there anything that we missed as far as dough do management that you know would be some good information I don't think so. Last thing I'll say is you can learn a lot just by keeping a simple log of the whole deer, what's called live weight, but they're dead by the time you're weighing them, but whole deer weight of your does. And, you know, I, I, I don't take it for all the fawns. I take it for all the mature deer, two and a half years old or older, you know what you call a big doe. And if it's going down, you know, you're, you got too many food, you know, you're compared year to year and not just one doe, you got a decent sample size, but if it's going down, you need to harvest more does. If it's going up, you got more food than you got deer, and you can back off your doe harvest a little bit. That simple indicator, if the sample size is big enough, is very accurate. Doe body weights don't lie. And hopefully you're killing way more does than bucks. So I don't really care about buck body weights. That's a small sample size. I care about mature doe body weights. Makes sense. No, I like that. Yeah, my uh, we took my nephew uh, for that doe management uh, hunt that they had a few weeks ago and i thought the doe was huge it, it dressed at i think uh, 125 so i thought that's like the, one of the bigger does I've, I've seen in a long time that's a big doe you could add about 30 percent give or take if you leave the heart in or out you know all these things different ways people gut or eviscerate deer that's a big doe that's a big doe yep yep so that might mean that because that was at our other buddy andy's property he, he he wanted to kill some does so he's like come out here take some does so we got one and well i might need to tell him hey man you might need to watch it, it seems like your does are pretty fat and happy <laughs> no 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 if that's, if that's if that's ag country they're gonna be big yeah right he he's our yeah, buddy he's our buddy that freaks out about shooting a doe after the rut because he could be killing the next 200 inch uh deer <laughs> he's that buddy yeah. uh, he's funny yeah that doesn't work either yeah uh, my testimony's clear in, in that little farm's you know, early antler season, I, I harvested three and I had some guests here too. I wasn't messing awesome. around. I, I would have got more if I could have. So yeah, I, awesome. I'll, awesome. I'm very serious about that. Hopefully, hopefully my daughter will be able to put an arrow through one this coming weekend with it being youth season. So yeah. she's going to, we're taking the crossbow out and we're going to sit and hopefully get something in front of us. Hey, you know what? Last thing I'll say here. It's okay. Do you, I mean, I've raised two daughters. I would keep it fun. Here's a couple of hints, Dad. Don't take M&Ms because kids, especially girls, tend to eat one M&M time, so they're always rattling the paper. Take a Snickers bar so they take one bite, they're chewing for a long time, not rattling the paper. (laughs) All right. Snickers bar. I'll write that one down. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I let my kids still today, although they're pickier now than I am. They kill bigger bucks than I do too, but they're pickier than I am. But I, I raised my daughters. They didn't have to hunt at all, even though dad's a deer biologist. They could shoot anything. My think, you know, my daughter's first deer was button buck, and uh, I, I never. I always wanted to keep it fun. If it was, if they were cold, we went home. If Missouri in their bad wisdom puts UCs on Halloween weekend, making kids make a choice between candy and deer hunting, that's a, it may be great for deer hunting, but it's not good for kids to make that choice. Right. So, you know, we want to make, we want to make it fun. And like I say, if it was cold or, you know, we just, I just hunted when they wanted to hunt and made it really fun. Never put any guardrails on them except safety. And now they come back. One of my daughters works for SpaceX in Seattle, and she's flying home to deer hunt. So that's awesome. That make is it awesome. fun, and they want to come hunt with you. Yep, that's my plan this yep. weekend. Yep. For sure. So good plan. Well, Doctor Grant, we really appreciate you coming on and joining us for this uh, very informative podcast. You know, we like we love to get uh, get some information out to our listeners that hopefully you know. People start killing does that need to kill does and lay off the ones that don't. Yeah, good. I appreciate y'all having me as your guest. It's a great honor. Thank you. All right. Thanks, All right. Doc. Thank you, sir.